Great to see you today. Still got people wandering on in. I know you were a little drippy coming in. That's okay. It is April, Mm -hmm. and I know the last couple of days we've forgotten and thought we were in early June, but it is April. This is what happens in April. So uh, other fun happens in April. You got to take a little little trip for a couple days this week. What did you do? That's the Shanahan's annual trip to Springfield to see the Capitol and everything, and I think we should rebrand it. It should not be called the Springfield trip. It should be called the Lincoln tour because <laughs> we stop at everything that teaches you about Lincoln in the, in the state of Illinois. We start at New Salem. We get to go to his house. We get to go to the Lincoln Museum in Springfield, which is totally worth going to. I, if you, I love the museum. It's, it's a, great. It's a super really awesome experience. Um, but yeah, I, so it's, it's a whole lot of Lincoln and a little bit of Illinois government. Um, but yeah, it's a good trip. The only thing... Um, Chad Uphoff, our principal, went with us on the trip, and we have discovered that eating five or six uh, buffet meals in a row does not agree with aging bodies. So, uh, so we're, we're in steady recovery over the next couple of days, going to be eating nothing but healthy food to try and uh, reset after that. That's but a good yeah, time. It's good. good time. It's fun. You're back to normal schedule with students, right? Didn't yeah. talk about that in first, but... Yeah, so back. Refuge got kicked back into into gear last Wednesday. Tonight, Revive um, hits the ground running, and we are uh, coming up close on uh, a couple of really important dates. Yeah, so, yeah. so every, every weekend, uh, if you've signed up for it, you get the weekend update. This is kind of our, the modern version of the old church bulletin, right? It gives you a few of the announcements that are going on, things that are significant uh, at the top. You are always able to go ahead and listen to the music we're doing on a Sunday morning, hear the scripture passage, uh, the link to Bible.com where you can actually go in and, and take notes on the morning. It's all right there. And then, and then we have, I think, three biggies that are taking place right now. So the first was yesterday, uh, not only April 15th, Tax Day, but April 15th, Quest Day. Yeah. So. so registration is officially open. If you are entering first grade all the way through sixth, uh, you can sign up to be a part of Quest, which is really, really cool. If you sign up before April 30th, you're going to get a $10 discount for each registration. So there's a reason, even though you've just paid those taxes, to get registered early. It's also just a a reminder to send those invitations now. So it helps us to know, especially the early returns, um, you know, political speak, it's it's good to to know the early returns in voting so we kind of see how elections are going. Same thing for registrations. Having those early registrations helps us to know the direction of, of how things are going and what we need to plan for and, and prepare for to make Quest the best thing possible. So if you have a family member or a, a friend, a coworker, whoever, that you want um, to have an in, in invite sent to about Quest, make sure you're doing that soon so that mm-hmm. they can take advantage of that, that $10 discount because we really do everything that we can keep all of our camp costs super low for the people who are in attendance because we know that it's not just about um, all the, the fun and the hype, but it's about spreading the, the gospel. And so that, that message is free to every single person. We want to make sure that that those, um, that, that message can be spread through our camps as, as cheaply as possible. And we've been doing um, our the, the serving side of camp the last few years, a layer at a time, group leaders, breakout leaders. Now we're to what we call the service squad. So tell us about the service squad and how you get involved. Yeah, two different service squads, one for adults and one for kids in seventh grade through 12th. Um, And the the great thing about the service squad is it gives a chance for those of you who may not be able to take a week off work 
or you may not even be able to work, you know, be, be there for the whole day, um, or if you're only able to be there like Tuesday and Thursday in the mornings. There are different roles that you'd be able to serve. We have before camp and after camp set up and tear down. We have during camp uh, just moving things, set, um, all kinds of different roles. So if you if you'd be interested in even just being here for a day or a portion of a day, it would help us. So um, the way that we do our registration for that is we ask you to express interest. So when you go click on the link, either in the, the weekend update or on the website, it, you're not going and saying, yes, I would like to help, you know, tear down chairs. Because what we do is collect all the names and, and then kind of disseminate the, the roles based on our needs. So, um, so make sure that if you are if you're able to even be here for a day, it's an incredibly moving experience getting to see how all the kids are interacting with their groups and, and watching all the, the skits and everything going on. It's just a, it's a powerful time to be here at Southfield with, uh, with Quest. So make sure that uh, if you can, sign up and, and show Am some I right that if you're a student doing Serve Squad, you don't sign up through the website? You talk, at, talk to people at the Info Hub about that, Absolutely correct? Right. Yeah, so you need to make a direct face-to-face -face ask uh, if you are a student. So let me just say, you know, students plug your ears, this is for the parents. It's really important that, that your student ask. Not that you ask for your student, but your student ask. It's a piece of their growth to be able to go and say, I want to serve. So uh, don't do the ask for them because they're going to say, sorry, your student has to come, do the ask. So make sure you go ahead and ask in person. Uh, this group, I, I love this group, Intentional Grandparenting. It's a it's a four-session group. The first session just happened last Tuesday. It's happening every other Tuesday, so this week's off, and then it comes again. If you didn't sign up for it already, you are uh, more than welcome to get signed up. Uh, I'm at this stage of life, and i got to tell you, so far, four-month veteran, grandparenting is the best thing in the universe, and if you're able to be intentional about it, it's even better. So um, I, I think that sometimes... You know, when we're, when we're younger, we have our own kids, life is whirling and busy and just all kinds of stuff going on, and we miss out on some great things, and God gives us this, this opportunity uh, to be engaged in our grandchildren's lives. So uh, if you're a grandparent or soon-to-be grandparent, go ahead and sign up for that. And then I found this great image online of that old suspension bridge at Green Lake built over a, a hundred years ago now, way back in the day. Uh, Mrs. Mrs. Um, Lawson, who, who did so much of the building on the property, actually had farmers in the area bring their rocks to Green to the conference center wasn't the conference center there, and I think she paid him a penny a rock or five cents a rock or or something like that. So all those rocks are from all over that area. But the work trip is coming up. Tell yeah. us what's up. Yeah, if you follow uh, the Southfield Student Instagram, you'll know that we are 50 days away. Well, now shy of 50 days away from mm -hmm. heading off to camp. So if you are wanting to get registered, we do have a few spots remaining. So you can still get signed up. Uh, but the, the shift now is, is turning to prep, so we're really excited about it. Um, again, we've been super, super overwhelmed by the, the generous donations a lot of you have made to, to help us. Uh, it seems like just about every other day I'm getting a, a text from my mom who kind of oversees the, the finances of, that are rolling in for the trip, and she's giving me an update. Hey, this, you know, this person just gave this towards the trip, or this person just gave this scholarship, so thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that. Um, but with it being 50 days away, the, like I said, the hype is, is building. And it was really cool on this trip to Springfield, I got to give a shout to my guy, Carrie. Carrie was wearing his refuge t-shirt. 
Um, and so all day Saturday, he's rocking it around downtown Springfield, and he was scrolling Instagram on the bus, and he said, is it really 50 days to, to Green Lake? And I'm like, yeah. So he was able to have a, a cool conversation about that, and th that actually led uh, me to be able to explain what Green Lake is to the, the teacher that I was with. So you just never know. You, you never know what impact you can have on a person uh, based on just telling them about something or just sharing information. Um, so super fired up about it. It's, uh, a lot of things are coming together. Good deal. Last week was Easter, as you know, and, and at Easter we talked about a, a few things that we have available all the time, but we highlight them on Easter. One is that every week there are, there are paper Bibles available as you're going through those doors uh, to the, to the right-hand side, we have two different versions of the Bible that, that we like people to use. Uh, one is the New Living Translation, which is just good modern American English, and the other is the English Standard Version that's a little more literal. So if you're doing study, it's really helpful to have a, a sense of, of the more literal approach. And then there were a couple of uh, books, booklets. One is this booklet by Andy Stanley called How Good is Good Enough? And I, I mentioned these this week because we ran out and some of you were still hoping to get one or knew somebody that wanted to get one. So uh, we have How Good is Good Enough? But then I really love this little booklet. It's called The Story. And it walks through how to have a relationship with God. It goes all the way back to creation, creation, the fall, and where we were and where we can be through a relationship uh, with God through Jesus Christ. So we have that. And then there's a, there's a children's version of it as well called the story maker. I mentioned last week, you know, if you're, if you're a parent, I'd encourage you to pick one of these up so that when that opportunity comes, when your child is asking those spiritual questions, you're prepared to talk about it. And here that is. And then... Just recently, they went ahead and, and put that, uh, the story out in Spanish as well. So we have several of those available for those of you that um, have family and friends who are primarily or solely uh, Spanish speakers. So we're going to take advantage of that Bible this morning. I'm going to have you read uh, the first part of uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, as His Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed Him, and you have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All the praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation— and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring, honor, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. 
This salvation was something that even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now, this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching as these things happen. God in heaven, this morning as we gather, uh, we lift up our prayers for the opportunities you bring our way, opportunities that your word says you prepared in advance long ago for us to do. You knew who would be here now. You knew the needs of the world in this very moment, and you, you called us to this place in this time. I'm grateful for the opportunity we're going to have in in just 49 days to head back to Green Lake with our students. And what happens when when we get away from home, when we get away from the the normal routine, and we have a chance to to shift our our perspective, um, I pray that it would be a a week of of real, true, deep impact, life-changing impact in, in the lives of every one of our students and the adults as well. Uh, who go to be with them and lead them. I pray for Quest, God, as we have that week again and, and children come to, to have fun and, and to do all kinds of things that they don't normally get the opportunity to do. But God, as we, as we do all that, I pray that the gospel message would not be missed. That as they hear the story, as they hear about fall and redemption and all the ways in which you wanted to bring them back to yourself, God, I pray that at their level, they will understand there is a God in heaven who loves them and his son died to give them life so that the spirit could live in them and empower them to live in a way that pleases God. I'm grateful to you for the opportunities you're presenting in our community with with LifeWise. And God, I pray that as we continue to move forward uh, with, with plans toward that in the fall, that you would guide every step, that you, would, that you would clear the path before that program, and we'd have an opportunity to reach out to many kids who, who need, they may have a great life going, but God, they need to know the difference you can make, even in a great life. Lord, I pray too for the opportunities that we have to help grandparents, grandparent well. And I pray that we would be conscious of every moment, that we would be intentional in our parenting, in our grandparenting, in whatever opportunity we have to lead the next generation toward you. Now, God, I pray that you would guide us as we look into your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today I want to launch into a series that I've actually... uh, been about to do for, I don't know, five years maybe. I've come close more than once to launching into this series and the Spirit of God led us in a different direction. So, so today we're going to finally begin a study of the epistle of 1 Peter. Epistle simply means letter. This is a letter that Peter wrote to several churches. Why Peter, you might ask, and, and why now? And actually, I'm going to try to answer that over the next couple weeks more fully. But for today, I, I'd like you to I'd like to say this. Look at this, this verse with me. It, right at the beginning of the book, 
Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. I want to focus on on this line in particular. He has given us new birth into a living hope. New birth into a living hope. Living hope. I've been, I've been just kind of stuck on hope lately. Hope has been a little bit of an obsession for me. I told a few people at the, at the turn of the year that if I was going to choose a word for the year, the word would be hope. I've got to admit, I'm not a person who, who bubbles with natural optimism. I'm Hungarian. Hungarian are some of the most depressed people on all the earth. It's just the way we're wired. I don't know why. Uh, sometimes I wish I were wired as a very natural optimist. God's given me a spiritual gift of discernment, and that tends to mean I notice things. I notice details. I notice patterns. I notice things beyond the surface. And if this gift is taken in a natural direction instead of an authentically spiritual direction, it can lead to seeing the dark side of everything, seeing the problems and perils more than the possibilities. And this can deplete a soul of hope. I need hope. We all need hope. Now, I'm not going to catalog for you today all the problems of our world. These are dark times. People on both sides are acknowledging these are dark times, even though they have totally different reasons for saying that. A darkness is gripping our nation and it's gripping our world. For those of us who have been around for a while, we see the shift And I'm telling you what, it is not a good one. Eyes on the darkness, eyes focused on the darkness can lead to despair. But Peter says, Christ followers, you have a living hope. You have a living hope, even in the darkness, even in the face of suffering, even when it seems like wrong is winning at every turn, we have living hope. Hence the subtitle of the series, Hope in a World That is Not Our Home. I love that Peter calls it living hope. The word living puts forth hope as a present reality. It's, it's not just for later. It's not just for heaven when I die. There is good reason in the middle of the mess to have living hope, not, not a blind foolish optimism, not a silly smile just before we get hit by a bus. It's an active, vibrant, living hope in the face of the absolute darkest hour. And so we're going to unpack living hope more in the weeks to come. But today I want to look at the way living hope impacted the author. How did it impact Peter? We look at the introduction to the book. It says, this letter is from Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ. He then goes to list the people who will be receiving this encyclical, who will be receiving this letter, people in different cities scattered. He begins in a way that says, I'm about to give you a letter. Are you ready? May God give you more and more grace and peace. Today in all of this, I just want to look at verse 1. Just the very first verse And I'm going to put it on the screen in a little more literal translation, the one that's on the screen right now. The one on the screen kind of fluffed the pillow a little bit. More literally, this is what we read. Peter, 
an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter, an apostle, that's it. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I was curious, I know he wrote the next book as well. He wrote 2 Peter. And so I was curious, how did he address that one? Very similarly, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter, he refers both to the name he was given at birth and the name given to him by Jesus when Jesus says, your name is the rock, Cephas in Aramaic, Petros in Greek, Peter, you're the rock. The mix of the old name and the new name is telling. It's kind of like the blind man saying, I once was blind, Simon, and now I see Peter. He refers to himself as an apostle and as a servant, an apostolos and a doulos, and not, not a servant like a butler, okay? Not, not that kind of servant, but a bond servant or an actual slave, one whose every action is dictated by someone else. He said, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. I'm really struck by this introduction. I'm struck by its simplicity. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. No lengthy history, no expression of accomplishment, no defense of his credentials, just Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now we know that ancient letters are a little different than ours. If you were writing a, a letter today, you'd start with dear whomever and write the letter at the very end. You'd put sincerely or love or whatever and you'd put your name. Ancient letters are in the exact opposite order. So the author begins with his or her name because you're reading a scroll and you may not want to unwind the whole scroll to find out who the writer is. And then after the author and their credentials, they'll give the recipient and a nice warm greeting, a formal greeting to the recipient. Peter's greeting is simple. And it's stated with humble confidence. He has no need to prove himself. He is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And actually, as we look at it more closely, we see that his identity is tied totally to the identity of Jesus. He is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, a servant of Jesus Christ. I think it took years for this identity to settle in for Peter. Peter has a reputation, you know, for being bold and brash. He's a guy who, who always fills the sentence with, fills the silence with words. If silence is there, he's got to speak. And sometimes his answers are profound. And sometimes they lead to his sandal being wedged between his lips. He had gained comfort through the years in his identity because his identity was finally not about Peter. His identity was about Jesus. And in my view, this simple introduction is an important lesson for all of us. You see, if I have conversations and as I, I walk with people, I find this. So many people struggle with identity. And I'm talking 15-year-olds, and 45-year-olds and 75-year-olds, so many people struggle with identity. We, we feel like we're walking through life alone. Everyone else has friends. I'm left out. 
We watch other people racking up the accomplishments, making an impact, and we feel like our existence hasn't even made a dent. We think that if we were to scream, nobody would even notice. We walk through life on an identity hunt. Some of us will will try on different personalities. How does this one fit? How does that work? Or we'll go on a pathway that, you know, isn't quite really who we are, but we wonder what it would be like if we were. Looking at the life of Peter, I, I really believe he's a man who early on had struggles with his identity. He was trying to figure out who he was. We first meet Peter in in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. He sees Simon, Peter, and his brother Andrew, and they're casting nets into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus says, come and follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. And the Bible says, at once, immediately, they dropped their nets and they chose to follow Jesus. Peter is a Galilean fisherman. This is his pre-Jesus identity. What do you do? Who who are you? I'm a fisherman. Like many of us, he identified himself with what he did. And I got to tell you, what he did, it sounds glamorous, but it was not an easy life. The Sea of Galilee is the largest freshwater lake in all of that area. And there are two primary fish that would be caught when you went out onto the Sea of Galilee. One one was about the size of a sardine, and the other one looked a lot like a tilapia. You can take a peek at them at Jewel later today. They started fishing at dusk, and they'd fish into the night. They had nets that were made of linen, and the linen was white. And so the fish could easily see the net. So... When day came, they would wash their nets, they'd, they'd mend their nets, they'd, they'd prep their equipment, and they'd do it all over again at dusk. Do you remember in so many of the miracles, we hear this line, we fished all night and we haven't caught a thing. They fished at night because that's when you went fishing. I want to look at the story a little bit and we'll learn more about Peter in, in Luke chapter 5. It says, one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats along water's edge, for the fishermen had left them there and were washing their nets. So just like we said, they had fished all night, and now they're, they're taking care of their equipment. It says, Jesus stepped into one of the boats, and he asked Simon, its owner, so Simon owns this boat. Not every fisherman owned a boat. A lot of them had to fish from the shore, but he, he was doing well enough that he owned his own equipment, he owned his own boat. He asked if he could push out into the water, and so Jesus takes advantage of, of the acoustics of a lake. I don't know if you've ever been on a lake and had this experience. When you're at Green Lake and you're, and you're standing on one side of that, of that little slip, on the other side there are these houses, and if, and if the wind is blowing just right, and if, and if the conditions are just right, you can hear conversations on the other side of the lake. Jesus was taking advantage of the acoustics in order to get the message on out there. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it's deeper and let's put down your nets and cast some fish. I kind of laugh at this part of the story because you have Peter and Andrew and James and John Four very experienced fishermen. Have you ever given an experienced fisherman advice? Uh, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Why? They know how to catch the fish. 
Now, of course, Jesus is the creator of the fish, but we'll leave that alone. Jesus, Jesus says, hey, it's daytime, it's noon, it's so pretty, the sun's out. Let's go out and catch some fish. And they're looking at him like, are you crazy? But here's what he says respectfully. Master, we worked hard all last night, the normal time people fish, and we didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And at this time, their nets were so full that the nets began to tear. A shout for help was brought in, and they brought in partners. And soon, both boats were so full of fish that the, net, that the, that the boats began to sink. Simon, Peter, realized what happened. And he fell to his knees. And he said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I am such a sinful man. Already, Already this early encounter is starting to challenge Peter's understanding of his identity. Already he's starting to see himself in light of his relationship with Jesus. I am sinful. Things about the presence of Jesus exposed who he really was to himself. Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus his early identity was about activity. I'm a fisherman. You know what I love? I love that Jesus takes what Peter perceives to be his source of identity, his primary identity, and he revamps it. You like fishing? <laughs> Let's go for some real fish. Let's go for some fish that matter. Let's go for some fish that will last for all of eternity. For Peter, this is the first part of his identity shift. Peter is called. He is called. There are three factors that formed Peter's identity and can leave the same impact on us today. And here's the first reality. If you are Christ, a Christ follower, you can say these words, I am called. I am called. Every one of us who follows Jesus is called. For each of us who are followers of Jesus, we can say with confidence, I am called. God placed a unique calling on each of us. It is unique. Do you hear that word? Unique. We were created in Christ Jesus, Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, to do things God prepared long before the world was created for us to do. Before you were born, you were stamped with a unique calling, a unique reason for your existence. There is a reason I exist and it is rooted in Christ, and it is rooted in his call. Two issues emerge when we grasp the concept of calling. One is the human tendency to try to force the issue. We go on a quest to discover our calling. We want to know, what's the calling? What is my unique calling? We, we believe we have to discover it before we can do it. I'm more and more convinced as the years roll on that often we discover our calling in the rearview mirror. We find out what our calling was after the fact. The issue is not discovering our calling. It is following Jesus and letting Jesus take us where he will. Just following. Mark 1.17 doesn't say, work hard to discover your calling, Peter. It says, follow me. Just follow me. Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. And at that moment, Peter let everything go and said, I'm a follower. 
Peter did not go on a discovery mission of calling. He dropped his nets and he followed. He left behind what he thought was his calling to follow the caller. As followers of Jesus, we have one simple task. Follow. Follow. Just follow. That's what it's all about. Work less on discovering your calling and more on hearing the Master's voice. Keep obeying in the direction of his voice. I find these days that there are a lot of people that are really obsessed with the concept of building a platform. I gotta admit, I'm sick of hearing about building platforms, especially among Christ followers and among Christian leaders. That's the world's way. And so far, that path does not seem to lead to anything good. Following Jesus is not about building a platform, but walking in a path. It's not about a platform, but a path, a long obedience in the same direction. It's about following. This past week was the, the first week that, that Kim and I got to do uh, Emmett daycare all week long. Uh, do you know how many times I looked into that little boy's eyes this week and thought, this is the reason I'm here on earth right now. This is my calling right here, right now. Peter was called and we are called. Every one of us is called. There's a second factor that transforms Peter's identity. He was called, and he knew it. And he also knew that he was chosen. I am called, and I am chosen. Now, it may, it may feel like I'm saying the same thing twice, but it's really two totally different things. Let me, let me word it a different way. I am called, and I am wanted. I am wanted. God wants me. For too many of us, our broken human relationships with family, with friends, with teachers and people of influence, and others have left us feeling unwanted, unnoticed, abandoned, and even rejected. This whole letter drips with this concept. You are chosen. You are chosen. You are wanted. Look at the introduction again. He says, I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. Foreigners do not feel wanted. Foreigners feel like outcasts. And he's saying, no, that is not your identity. Your identity is a chosen one. You're chosen. It's, verse 2 says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. You're chosen. That's the truth of our existence. He goes on in chapter 2 to say these words, but you are not like that, for you are God's chosen people. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. Chosen. The chosen. You are the chosen. We're the chosen. You are not left out. You are not overlooked. You are not unwanted. You are not abandoned. You are chosen. You are wanted. You are loved. In Matthew 16, Jesus asks a question. He looks at his disciples and he says, Who do you say I am? Who am I? What's my identity? I would love the next question to be Jesus saying, who do you think you are? You know, it would be fun if he kind of got the answer from them, but he doesn't have to do that. He, he knows who they are, and he knows that their identity is going to be formed by their relationship with him. The question comes after a, after a broader question. He starts by, by surveying and just asking, what does the crowd say about me? 
Who do people say I am? They say, well, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah. It's like, that's interesting, interesting survey. But, but who do you say I am? And again, Peter, who can not bear silence, has to speak. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replies, oh my goodness, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being, and now I say that your name is Peter, Cephas, Petros. You are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not be able to conquer it. Peter hears the words of Jesus. You are chosen. You're not only called, you are chosen. He would not know the answer, except that God the Father revealed it to him. His name, his entire identity is transformed because he realizes he's chosen by God. Again and again and again, Peter, Paul, and other scripture writers make this concept very clear. You are chosen. You did not elbow your way in. You couldn't if you tried. You didn't earn your seat. God chose you. God loves you. God wants you. I can't think about this concept without hearing the lyrics of a song that we've done a few times here. Jesus loves you. Oh, he loves you. Yes, he loves you. Just because he does. He's radically in love with you. You are called and you are chosen. What else transformed the identity of Peter? If you go to the end of the letter, chapter 5, verse 1 begins this way. And now a word to you, those of you who are elders in the church. So he's about to speak to the church leadership. He says, I am an elder and something else. I am a witness to the suffering of Christ. I lived as one who, who saw with my own eyes the suffering of Jesus. Peter's going to talk in this letter a lot about pain and suffering. Here is a truth our world wants to mask. Pain and suffering can actually be positively, divinely transformative. If we walk with it and if we walk through it, we can be positively, divinely transformed. Three factors formed Peter's identity and three factors form ours. I am called, I am chosen, and I am crucified. I am crucified. Daily death. As a follower of Jesus, I am transformed through daily death. Satan is selling a lie to the American culture and to the American church. He tells us that if there is pain, we must be doing something wrong. If there is suffering, avoid it, short-circuit it, deaden it. Do whatever you've got to do, but get rid of it. I am called I am chosen, and yes, I am daily being crucified. Back to Matthew chapter 16. Jesus renames Peter, and then he has to rebuke him, get behind me, Satan, for suggesting that the path of death was not the best path for Jesus. Then Jesus goes on to say this to all the disciples and to us as well. If any of you wants to be my follower... You have no choice, but give, you, you must give up your own way. You must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. 
If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, if you drop your nets, if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit? If you gain the whole world but lose the thing most precious to you, if you lose your very soul, is anything in the world worth more than a soul? So many of us struggle with identity because we resist the process. We grow into our truest selves by dying. Daily death of ego. Daily death of ambition. Daily death of me. If you've been in groups around here, you may have heard a term used more than once. I love it. It's the word egoectomy. Every one of us needs the ego cut out of us by the divine surgeon, the Holy Spirit. Building a platform and dying to self cannot coexist. Like Paul, we must embrace the words, I die daily. After Jesus is, has come back to life, there's a beautiful interaction in the last chapter of the book of John, chapter 21. Peter seems to want to revert back to his old identity. We read these words that, that Jesus is, um, is, is back and, and some of the disciples have gathered now by the Sea of Galilee. We have Peter, we have Thomas, Nathaniel, we have James and John, two other disciples. They've gathered and, and, and Peter just blurts out to the rest of them, I'm going fishing, I'm going fishing, back to the nets. How predictably human of him. After a moment of failure, we often go back to the way that seemed to work for us in the past. I'm going fishing. And they say, we'll go too. We'll go too. And so they get out in the boat. And it says they caught nothing all night long. Again, they fish at night. Keep reading. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach. But the disciples couldn't see who he was. Fellas, have you caught anything? By now they should realize when they don't catch anything all night, something good's about to happen, right? <laughs> Fellas, have you caught anything? No, I got, take your nets and put them to the other side of the boat. This should feel so familiar to them. They put the nets down. They're, they're so full that they can't even drag them in. It's crazy. It's crazy how many fish they've caught. And in that moment it says, the disciple Jesus loved, John, says, it's the Lord. Peter jumps in the water. He jumps in the water, swims to shore, and when he gets to shore, he finds breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooked open over a coal fire and some bread. Their own efforts all night long yielded no fish. Jesus provided both by filling their nets and by fixing their breakfast. He keeps asking them and he keeps asking us do you really think you can do this without me? Get a clue. Come on, guess again. Jesus then says, bring some of the fish you've caught. So Simon goes to get some of the 153 fish. Believe me, they knew exactly how many fish they had caught. They were fishermen. Can you hear the subtle invitation? Bring some of your fish too. Chosen. Deeply loved. I've still chosen you, Peter. You're still deeply loved by me. Now come have some breakfast. It says breakfast is pretty quiet. They didn't know what to say. It's kind of awkward. He reinforces the fact 
that Peter is chosen and that we are chosen with a tough talk about love. Three times Peter denied Jesus. Three times Jesus let Peter change his answer. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Chosen. Deeply loved. And he ends the whole conversation then by saying, then feed my sheep. Peter, you are not only chosen, you are not only deeply loved, you are, you are still called. You're still called. And then Jesus talks about crucifixion, but this time it's not about his crucifixion, it's about Peter's. He looks at Peter and says, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself. You went wherever you wanted to go. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and others will take you where you do not want to go. It literally says Jesus said this to let him know what kind of death he would die to glorify the Father. And then he says the simple words that he said back at the seashore, follow me. Just follow me, Peter. Just, just get behind me and follow me. We follow and we die. Daily we follow and our ego is killed. Peter then shows how, many, how, how so many of us get, get off track with the formation of our true identity. He hears the prediction of his own death. He looks around the fire and he sees John, the guy who's always referring to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. The guy who seems to be a little more loved than everybody else. The guy who seemed to have all the advantages, all the breaks. The guy who perhaps Peter secretly said, I wish I was him instead of me. Peter turned, saw John and said, Lord, what about him? How's he going to die? We do this all the time. We're not satisfied with the identity we have in Christ we want to know about their identity. How can I get their identity instead of the one you've given to me, God? Jesus' response is one we all need to hear we are, when we are tempted to compare or when we are driven to self-pity. He says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, it's really none of your business. Just follow me. That's what you're supposed to be doing. Just follow me when we are tempted to compare when we long to be someone else, when we feel less than called and less than chosen because our path of crucifixion seems harder than someone else's, get your eyes off the other person and just follow Jesus. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter's introduction is a simple expression of calm humility. Why? Because his identity was not rooted in what he did or what he knew or the prominence of his platform. It was not grounded in his number of likes or the quantity of friends he had. Peter had gained comfort with his identity because his identity was all about Jesus and not about Peter. You are called, you're chosen, and yes, you're being crucified every day. As we follow, as we respond to the call of Jesus, as we focus on the path and not the platform, a positive transformation takes place. The real me emerges, the me God made me to be. 
You're a masterpiece of the making of God. Lord God, I pray that from these very simple words at the beginning of this book, we would realize that the entirety of our identity is to be grounded and rooted in our relationship with Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. Help us to hear your call and to follow. Help us, God, to know that we are chosen, we are wanted, we are deeply loved. And I pray that you will help us to learn the value of daily crucifixion, that it's a good thing and not something to be avoided. In the name of Jesus, amen. That song I referenced, we're going to be listening to it during and watching it during communion. Communion is offered to you on the front tables and tables at the back. We have gluten-free on either side of the a stage as well as, a, as well as a table in the back. And the song just reiterates again, Jesus loves you. Yes, he really does. And just because he does. I, I do want to say to those of you uh, joining us by stream, uh, YouTube isn't exactly excited when we show videos, so we have to make a choice. We turn down the volume so that the stream will continue to play. So song lasts about four minutes. Don't leave because there's more to come. And so I pray, God, that with the truth of your word in our hearts, we would start living into the calling you have given us, the unique calling that was set before the world began, that we would that we would find ourselves knowing that we are chosen, not an accident, not neglected, but wanted and deeply loved. And God, in all of that, sometimes that word crucifixion feels like a contradiction because if I'm loved and if I'm called, why would I have to go through pain why would I have to go through hard things? Why, why would there have to be opposition? And in all of that, we realize that even your dear son died to do the best thing for us he ever could. Help us not to resist the path of crucifixion, but to realize that is the path toward our true identity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together and sing to the glory of Jesus. The truth of Scripture expressed so well. If God be for us, nothing, absolutely nothing can be against us. And yet as you listen to the truth, what you realize is that the path of strength is weakness. The path of strength isn't fighting. The path of strength is being on your knees. The path of strength is not, come on, I'm taking the lead. The path of strength is saying, what you said to follow? I'm listening, Jesus. I'm listening. And so this week, do not forget, nothing can stand against you if you're following him. And we'll see you next week.